Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. God bless your worship as we gather together once again during this non-festival half of the church year where the emphasis is on the Christian living. And we're going to hear once again from the ser- for the sermon uh, Jesus' beautiful words spoken to technically his enemies and how we just see this tremendous undeserved love for those that even hate him because he truly is a savior that wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Our first lesson for this 19th Sunday after Pentecost is found recorded in the book of Isaiah chapter 5 beginning at the first verse. Let me sing for my loved one a song about my loved one's vineyard. My song, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile ridge. He dug it up and gathered the stones out of it. He planted it with the best vines. He built a tower in the middle of it. He also cut a wine press into it. He expected it to produce clusters of sweet grapes, but it produced only sour grapes. So now, you residents of Jerusalem and you men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard that I have not done? already done for it. When I expected it to produce clusters of sweet grapes, why did it produce sour grapes? Now let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will become a pasture. I will break down its walls, and it will be trampled down. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or hoed, so briars and thorns will shoot up. I will also command the clouds not to pour rain on it. Yes, the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the planting that was pleasing to him. He expected justice, but instead there was oppression. He expected righteousness, but there was an outcry. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, beginning at the 12th verse. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I pressed on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus also took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, but there is one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind and straining toward the things that are ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature continue to think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you too. Only let us think the same thing and walk in line with what we already have attained. Brothers, join together in imitating me and in paying attention to those who are walking according to the pattern we gave you. To be sure, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I told you about them often, and now I am saying it while weeping. Their their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite, and their glory 
is in their shame. They are thinking only about earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We are eagerly waiting for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, he will transform our humble bodies to be like his glorious body. The word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, beginning at the 33rd verse. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, but a, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He leased it out to some tenant farmers and went away on a journey. When the time approached to harvest the fruit, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. But the tenant farmers seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then the landowner sent to them even more servants than the first time. The tenant farmers treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect the son, he said. And when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. So when the landowner comes, what will he do to those tenant farmers? They told him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. When he will... He will Then he will lease out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his fruit when it is due. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That is why I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produce its fruit. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in Matthew chapter 21, uh, beginning at verse 33. This is the parable of the wicked tenants, and I open with these words from our text. While he sent his son to them, they will respect my son, he said. And when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. They, threw, they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what was he thinking? This landowner. He goes and sends servants in, and, and they end up getting killed. So he goes and sends more in, and they go get killed. And then he didn't even stop there. He goes and sends his son, his own flesh and blood in, and he gets killed. What was this landowner thinking? Where is the common sense? And I know that you may think, well, common sense isn't so common. But doesn't it almost hint at that here? What was he thinking? Sending one set, another set, and then his own son? Now I understand that to a certain extent this is not a real story.
story. Yes, it's a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but a real story in the sense, was there really literally a landowner and, and he actually did this? Well, we will find nothing like that in history. But it is real, though, in a spiritual sense, in, in a heavenly point of view, in God's sight and thinking. This is very real. Because what is going on here is what is going on in Israel. Jesus is preaching in the temple. This is Tuesday of what we call Holy Week. Within a couple days, he will be nailed to the cross and he will pay for the sins of the world. Until then, Jesus is spending all day preaching and teaching and during that opportunity, the religious leaders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, there might even been some Herodians mixed into the group because they had all been plotting and planning to end Jesus. They were just looking for an opportune time. They had already confronted Jesus by what authority he did what he did, what he was doing. And if you remember, he didn't answer them by what authority he was doing what he was doing, but instead said by what authority did John baptize? Well, they wouldn't answer, so he wouldn't answer them. So now comes a whole series of these parables. Now, last week we considered the parable of the two sons, clearly directed towards these leaders. This parable is the same way, directed right towards them. This is a warning to them, and a, really a strong warning to them but really a warning that is being given out of love. Yes, Jesus is the Savior of the world who paid for every sin, but he's also the Savior who wants all to come to that knowledge of the truth and be saved. He wants all to repent and, and to trust in that forgiveness that is theirs by the blood of Christ alone. And so here we see Jesus once again reaching out to them. And we have to understand these words in the sense that he's reaching out to them in love. Undeserved love, but love none the, none the sense. Love. When he starts telling the story about this landowner, this landowner who decided to build a vineyard, and we're told that he planted the vineyard, he put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and even built a watchtower. He didn't spare any expense when it came to this vineyard. He didn't just plant a vineyard and walked away and hope for the best. He gave this vineyard the best. He gave it not only so that it could thrive and, and, and so that it could do well, but he even set up, like the watchtower, an opportunity to protect it, and especially against the thieves and enemies. He went above and beyond when it came to this vineyard. And then he rented it out to some tenant farmers. Now, the Israelites knew this. I mean, they, they knew how tenant farmers worked. They knew that, okay, these are tenant farmers who actually don't own the land, but all they do is manage it and take care of it. And then, of course, part of the rent is you would give to the owner part of the fruit, part of the harvest. This was an agreement that was made. 
And then, of course, whatever is left after the agreed upon amount would benefit the tenant farmer. It seems like it's a really wonderful relationship, especially if you're looking at a bumper year. Now, the owner, he goes on a long journey and he sends in his servants in his behalf. And when he goes to send in his servants, of course, these servants are going to pick up their share of the harvest. This was the agreement. This was to be expected. He wasn't asking for anything above and beyond. But when the servants got there, the tenant farmers didn't give their fair share. In fact, they gave nothing at all except they beat one, they killed another, they stoned a third. If you put all those three together, what did they do? They made sure that these guys didn't just simply die, but they died a horrible, violent death. They made sure that these guys suffered before they ended up. It almost sounds like mercy killing after all that. And of course, what are they ultimately doing, these tenant farmers? Sending an awfully strong message to that landowner. So the landowner decides to send even more servants, more than the first time. We don't even know how many he sent the first time. But it was more. And, and they go and get treated the same way. They beat one, they killed a second, they stoned a third. And they made sure they suffered when they died. Yep, they made sure they sent a message to the landowner. Now what does this all mean so far? The landowner has to be God the Father. Not just God in the general sense. Remember, our true God, our triune God, is one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is God the Father because we hear of the Son later. So when we're thinking of God the Father, this is the one who's the maker of heaven and earth. This is the one who has almighty power. This is the very God who is just and holy and demands that in the way we treat one another. The vineyard well, we heard from Isaiah that the vineyard is pointing to Israel. Israel's the vineyard. This was something the religious leaders would have been very familiar with because they were supposed to be experts in the, in the Old Testament Bible and law and teachings. Israel was the vineyard that God gave everything to them. And yet, what do we hear from Isaiah? They produce sour grapes. So who would be the tenant farmers? Even the religious leaders figured this one out because later, after our parable is over, we're told that they became even more angry with Jesus because they knew he was talking about them. And so, yes, the wicked tenant farmers are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. So who would be the servants? Well, they have to be the prophets that God sent into Israel over and over again. And the whole Old Testament is filled with one example after the next on how the prophets were oftentimes treated. 
Many of them were beaten. Many of them were killed. Many of them were even stoned to death and died a most violent way. The people of Israel has, has a history of just tormenting the prophets of God in order to silence them because they didn't, hear, they, want, they didn't want to hear what God was going to tell them, especially when that prophet had to bring the law and say that what you're doing is ungodly and God is angry with us. And they would listen to their false prophets and the false teachings and, and would say, no, God's not saying that. But instead of ignoring them, no, they had to beat them and destroy them and kill them in the most violent way. <coughs> a prophet is just simply one who speaks God's word to God's people, no more, no less. A faithful prophet is always one who is going to do that knowing he answers to God. Knowing that when he serves his congregation, he does so by serving God first. He doesn't just simply serve the congregation to, to do what that congregation wants. For if that congregation would ask him to do something contrary to God's word, he must hold to God's word, no matter how unpopular it may be, because he is to preach God's word to God's people. The most beautiful words that I ever received when I first started my ministry as a vicar was when an old pastor, I had asked him, old Pastor Schultz, he had, I had asked him, do you have any words of wisdom? He was retired. Any words of wisdom for a young guy starting out? And he spoke three Hebrew words that were simply, thus saith the Lord. In other words, so says God. Those words are used over and over in the Old Testament. And God said, and so God said, and God said, he said, you hold to that, hold to God's word, be faithful to God's word, stand firm on God's word, and your ministry, no matter what happens to it, will truly be a blessing. And he was right. So respect the pastors and teachers that God has called and has sent among you. Respect them knowing that they are held accountable to God and are to be faithful to God's word. But as you respect them and pray for them and think of them, also know that respect includes testing them. The Apostle John, in his first letter, makes it very clear. He says, test the spirits. He refers to pastors and teachers as spirits. Test the spirits to see whether they come from God. Then the only test that can be given is to test them from God's word. If they are falsely preaching and teaching God's word, then they are to be avoided. Then they are ones to be stayed away from. Even Jesus warned his people when he was here on earth, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Don't be so quick to just listen to whatever whim or, or whatever teaching or whatever thoughts out there, because it sounds good or it sounds religious or it sounds wonderful. You stick to God's word, you hold to God's word, and you apply God's word as you demand your pastors and teachers to preach that word. Because they are called by God to be faithful. And an unfaithful,
unfaithful one will be held accountable to God. Let's get back to the story. Now he sends the landowner, sends in his son. And when his son goes, maybe they'll treat him better, was the conclusion. But as soon as he went there, they plotted and planned to kill him. In fact, they took him out of the vineyard in, when they murdered him. And not only that, they even had the audacity to speak about, oh, let's kill him and take his inheritance, for he is the heir. But the father is still living. If the father is still living, then they're not going to get the inheritance. What were they thinking? Taking the heir and ending the son while the father is still living? And because you went and killed his son, now you think the father's going to give you the vineyard? This reminds me constantly on how foolish unbelief is and how silly and, and ridiculous and irrational and illogical it is to reject a Savior who paid for your sins in full and then start to think that you by your own goodness can earn heaven when in actuality all the praise and glory belongs to God and God alone. And then we have to ask the question, well, who is the son? Well, obviously it has to be Jesus. His miracles prove he's the son of God, but also Jesus quoting the Old Testament scriptures and showing how he's fulfilling them all, how they all point to him is proof that he is the son of God. He even himself quoted a scripture that said, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Some translated the capstone. Literally, it actually is two words. It is the head of the corner. And this head of the corner can refer to like a cornerstone, which is the first stone you build, and that scent, that is that cornerstone, really the most important stone. You have to make sure it's plumb. You have to make sure it's square. You have to make sure it's, it's put in just right because all the other stones build on it. It's the most important piece in the entire building. If it is the capstone, which many translate, well, that's the stone that was kind of triangle-like. It was not the square stone that you would use for a wall. No, it was a stone that ended up being used in the archway on top. It was also known as the keystone. That's the stone that held the pressure from above and, and kept the arch together um, from that pressure above. It became the most important stone. That stone gone, the building comes toppling down. The arch will not stand, and it will not hold. Either way, this is the most important stone, and this was the stone being rejected in unbelief. My dear friends, this is a reminder for us all that when it comes to preaching and teaching, the heart of it is Jesus Christ. He's the most important piece. But not only with preaching and teaching, but also with counseling. My job as a minister of God is not to simply solve people's problems or to fix their problems. No, my job is to proclaim to them Jesus Christ, knowing that the Holy Spirit works through that gospel message to build in one's heart that believing heart that clings to Jesus.
Jesus and along with it all the blessings that come from him like peace and hope and eternity and forgiveness and comfort and joy. These are the blessings. So it's not my job to fix people's problems. No, I've been called to give people what we all truly need, myself included. Jesus Christ and him crucified. He is the most important piece. Let's get back to the story. Now Jesus asks a question. So when the landowner comes, what will he do to those tenant farmers? Now Jesus has asked questions like this before. What's interesting is the answer that they give, and Jesus doesn't really respond to their direct answer. In other words, this parable is so unique that what answer they gave, Jesus accepted. And so in answer to their question, they, the religious leaders, those that have been questioning Jesus' authority, those that have been rejecting him in unbelief, reply, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Then he will lease out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his fruit when it is due. Even these religious leaders were calling for justice and fairness. And that is always how our Lord rules in everything he does. Isn't it interesting that these enemies of Jesus were describing the very punishment that they themselves are going to face one day because of their unbelief? The landowner is gone. He has gone on a journey, but he will come back. That's the plan. We don't know when he's going to come back. We just know he's going to come back. But if he takes a long time in coming back, the temptation is to think maybe he won't come back. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how long he takes, he is coming back and his servants must be ready. And those that have rejected the Lord in unbelief, on that last day, that judgment day, they will face a harvest day where all souls will be picked off this earth because the whole earth is going to be destroyed by fire. The Bible makes that clear. And on that last day, all souls will be judged. The believers will be taken to heaven with the holy angels and will enjoy being in the presence of the Lord forever in pure joy. The unbelievers will be sent to hell because of rejecting the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. And on that day, no one will be able to say, it is so unfair. God never gave me a chance. Hey, he built a vineyard. He put a fence around it. He dug a wine press. He built a watchtower. He called for faithfulness. Over and over, he sent in the servants. Over and over, they were rejected. People on the last day will have no one to blame but themselves. Oh, yes, they will try to blame the Lord, but they can only blame themselves. Because God's final judgment will be just, and it will be fair. Until that day comes, my dear friends, do not give up the Lord in unbelief. Do not join in what's popular by the world today. 
stand out so different from others because you have a Savior and you know who that Savior is. Continue to grow in this word. Continue to take that word and pray on it as we pray for even each other. And above all, share that holy word with others, knowing who you really are as disciples of Jesus Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ. You are his servants too. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.